This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Our book today is titled Touching God, A Journey, A Guide to Mysticism in Christianity and Islam. Our author, Dr. Brad Tyndall. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You have a fascinating background as far as your studies. You've studied in France. You've studied French. You've studied Arabic. Arabic is a language that most listeners that are a part of this show have never heard before. Is there anything in Arabic you could greet us with, perhaps? Sure. Salam alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Is a very long, blessing way to say, peace be upon you. Peace, peace be upon you. Well, and I, I heard it with a French accent. Is that something I, I shouldn't have heard? Um, hopefully not, but I did study, um, I started my studies in Arabic in France with uh, Tunisian and Morocco, Moroccan instructors, so a little French may speak in my bit, Arabic. A little bit of everything. You've hitchhiked through France, France and Germany, the beautiful parts of the world. Those who have not been to Europe, those are spectacular areas. Uh, you've uh, worked for the U.S. State Department. You've uh, been an economist in Kenya. Rather varied background. And then now this, as an author, you have written a book, Touching God, A Journey, A Guide to Mysticism in Christianity and Islam. Brad, why did you decide you wanted to share your information, st- share your, your knowledge of uh, both of these religions in this book? Well, it started at, actually um, at 9-11, when the, the terrorists um, struck New York City and Pennsylvania and Washington, D.C. I was at a community college in, uh, in Colorado, and it was just very frightening. And we all got together and said, hey, what can we do with this? Arabic, or anyone who looked Arabic or Middle Eastern at all, um, or even brownish, didn't feel safe to come to school. And said, we have to do something. I said, well, hey, I was a Peace Corps volunteer for four years. I speak Arabic. I've been reading a lot about Sufism, which is um, very loving um, Islamic mysticism. And um, so I said, hey, let me do a presentation called The Loving Side of Islam. And I can bring more educated, loving, intelligent perspective to it. So I started doing these loving side of Islam uh, presentations, and I'd done them at Rotary Club, the Lions Club. And what I found is that people felt it was kind of very alien, so I started comparing it to Christianity. You know, we do this, they do that. It's Mm -hmm. very similar. And what I found is that at at their core, their mystical core, when you kind of strip strip or strip away um, religious practices, they're very, very similar. And so it became inadvertently kind of my own religious journey, or continued my religious journey, into kind of the heart of faith. And so when I, the last time I was scheduled to, to uh, do this talk as a seminar, a several-week seminar, I said, well, I better write up all this stuff, because this is getting to the point where PowerPoint presentations aren't cutting it. So I just converted it into a book, basically, and I said, wow, now I'm ready for next time. And I said, wow, maybe uh, I should do something with this book, and, uh, and that's how it came to fruition. 
So this, you feel this book will appeal to a, a large audience, not just the individuals you were addressing during your live talks. Oh, absolutely. I'm hoping that it'll appeal to Muslims because they will see the, the very strong, deep parallel to Christianity. And I think that they'll find that I say such loving, wonderful things from a kind of a new perspective that they'll enjoy. I think Christians will say, oh my gosh, this is so interesting because I had no idea Islam said all these wonderful things about Mary and Jesus and all these other cool things. And I, you know, I had no idea that the Quran was so beautiful and had such a wonderful cadence and refrain. And I'm hoping that people who like poetry, I think, will like it. I know that Throughout the book, I, I quote a lot of Sufi poets like Rumi and Hafez, and people who love that type of literature are just going to say, I this is just perfect for them. Because it kind of resonates in that kind of Sufi-loving poetry, or in the Christian sense, kind of songs of Solomon, kind of loving scriptural things. And so I think a lot of people of, of faith and non-faith, and maybe the, the Buddhists and others will say, this is loving, this just feels really good. You know, and finding this commonality between faith just feels right. And I think a lot of people are just coming in and go, ah, just finally something loving and positive. And, this, and I think it'll res- resonate with a lot of people. I really hope so. Describe the process of writing your book. Was there a lot of research involved? Was this just from personal experience? I noticed in your first chapter you, you drew some personal experiences into the, the uh, narrative. How did you go about writing this? Well, I think that um, a lot of it, you know, came from anecdotes, a lot of epiphanies and not learning from people. I guess the first major whammy for me was meeting really, really nice Muslims. When I was in France as a student, it was very hard to meet French people because they have wives, they have friends, and you come in as an outsider. And so the other outsiders, the many, many Muslims in France kind of adopted me and took care of me and kind of... You know, I had a problem with an employer who wasn't paying me. Some Tunisians came to rescue and said, hey, you got to pay this guy. And so then I started saying, well, hey, maybe I should study Arabic because this Muhammad Allah thing seems kind of interesting. And then, um, then I went to Sudan. I met such loving, nice people. I said, I want to just take another, you know, look at this. And then in my doing the loving side of Islam presentations, I did a lot of reading to so much of the Christian mystics. I mean, that's kind of like maybe my next book is the history of the Christian mystics and Islamic mystics. And, and I found just so many wonderful, wonderful things. And um, and I feel to a certain extent it wasn't all coincidence because it was just too much serendipity here and meeting the right people at the right time. And I'm now living kind of in the the shadow of the warmth of, of the Benedictine Monastery in Snowmass, and, and they have the best library and uh, bookstore in mysticism, and they have some of the, the most well-known worldwide mystics, um, Christian mystics there, and, and it's just been, you know, a lot of reading, a lot of books, in, uh, Islamic books, um, Christian mystics, mysticism books, such as Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Thomas Merton, and it's just been, a, in a way, it's just been a lot of fun, and it's also been something that kind of warms your heart every step of the way, so it's been good. It's been a really good trip. You've spent some time in Sudan as well. Uh, share some of that experience, if you will, if there's anything that might be pertinent to today's 
uh, observations politically? Well, I think the most important thing to note is that the percentage of radicals is relatively small. It's just a few percentage of fundamentalist, you know, hate mongers. And in Sudan, for example, I would say you know, it's like 98% knock your socks off, kinder than you can imagine people. And then there's just, there's, in every faith, there's just some people who are just hateful, and I don't think they really represent that they, in Sudan, for example, when I went there, as a Peace Corps volunteer, and I, I stayed there for four years, I uh, went to a local market to buy food. It's basically, you know, beans and bread for breakfast. And I went to pay for my food. And this is a very broken-down restaurant. You imagine goats trying to eat your food and things mm-hmm. with the table, and it's just filthy. And they kind of wash your bowl in dirty water. And I said, okay. So I went to pay for my food, maybe 50 cents worth. And somebody jumps up and invokes the name of Allah and says, name of God, i got to pay. You're a guest in our country, and no, it brings blessing to me and my family. Let me buy this for you. And I'm going, well, okay, okay, okay. Well, in all honesty, I couldn't pay for food for over a month. And every poor soul would jump up, and finally, when it was all done, I said, there isn't anybody in this neighborhood who hasn't paid for me. And I went up to pay, and the owner of the restaurant said, nope, you're not paying. Uh And uh, so finally got in I mean, the kindness of the people is just mind-blowing. And you think, well, how can that exist when you hear about terrorism and, and roadside bombs and this, that, and the other? And I think there's just percentage of hate mongers in all faiths. And Christianity, of course, did the Inquisition, burned Jews and heretics alive. And I'm thinking, you know what? Islam's going through a bad spell with these small percent of radicals. And I think it's important to try to nurture the 98% of the good and not discard them, and, and don't over-focus or design your politics too heavily around the 2% of hate mongers. And so I think that was a really big lesson for me. In writing your book, how long did it take to finish? Complete it? Oh, since 9-11 until about, oh, fairly recently. It took many, many years because it's just kind of grown and grown and grown. And there was a lot of reading the Quran and making I, I get it right. Because I really don't want to upset people. People are very sensitive about their, their faith. And so I would, it slowly evolved over about a 10-year period, basically. And it finally kind of came all together. And I started cranking away at it. I think it took about six months. But by then, I'd done so much research. And it was really a question of quoting whom and that kind of thing. I mean, the book, uh, the book has a whole lot of footnotes and um, a huge bibliography. It's kind of a great list, actually, just to look at in terms of look at all these great, the seminal books, books to read in Islamic and Christian mysticism. And so, it, you know, it was 10 years of reading and putting it together. And, and I've studied Arabic, so I don't get rusty. So there was a lot of hours studying Arabic and keeping that fresh somewhat, too. Incredible. Spent- Yes, spend a couple of sentences and and uh, share with my listeners how you would introduce this book to someone. Um, I would say that this book um, <laughs> is a loving journey itself. It pretty much speaks to the heart of the of the seeker and talks a little bit of of my seeking journey, and then it. And then it sprinkles in a whole lot of kind of loving verses from the Bible and a lot of loving poetry, Sufi poetry from Hafez and Rumi. 
and then it kind of takes you on the quest of what is faith and what what's it all about and it digs at its spiritual core it speaks constantly of saying okay what are the outward and physical signs of religion and, and then it asks the question what is the inward and spiritual grace whether it's prayer or prayer beads or chanting or singing going on a pilgrimage and it digs at that core and finds it's always a pathway to God, a pathway to love, and it basically speaks to the yearning of the human heart for love. And so, I, in a sense, the book, you know, it does go through the five pillars of Islam, but looks at them with a light of love and meditation and getting closer to God. And it goes through Christianity, its basic tenets, and saying, hey, but what it's really trying to do is this loving outreach to God. And and so I think by the end of it, people hopefully feel like, wow, I just went on a love journey. And I think I've learned some things along the way, and I think, you know, I have a new perspective of reaching out to God, and maybe to some extent I've become a mystic. And so, and I understand, and I feel that love. So I'm hoping it'll be a loving experience and also a little bit of an intellectual journey, because there's some showing some very interesting powerful things in the Quran and the Bible along the way. It provides a framework of kind of reading these things without being really too preachy. It's very kind of open and non-judgmental. And so I think it all people will feel closer to God, I hope, at the end of it, by the end of it. In the stories you've recounted and the uh, personal journey that you've had, is there one story that maybe stands out that is going to grab the reader, in addition to the one that you've mentioned about Sedan? Oh, oh, there's so many different stories. There's kind of funny ones, and there's, uh, you know, serious ones. Um, I guess the, the more funny one that comes to mind is uh, I was walking through outside of Sharm el-Sheikh. It's a town in uh, Egypt. And I was walking along the desert, and there were some people chanting, going around and around in a circle, and I was kind of watching them going, that looks interesting. And they were chanting and banging the tambourine. And then someone looked over and saw me and said, Yeah, how are And that basically said, Oh, gringo. And they kind of, you know, just making fun in a very nice way. And I spoke back and said something, you know. And I said, Yeah, halabi, which is kind of slightly insulting way to call an Egyptian kind of thing. But it was all in fun and loving spirit. And they said, They called me over. And so uh, I ended up chanting and dancing with them. And it was, it was a really beautiful time. And then they stopped and said, Now it's your turn. Your turn to chant, and I'm thinking, I don't know what to chant. I don't know any uh, Gregorian chants, or I don't know what's going to work. And so I, I, I thought of row, row, row your boat. Right. It's like, well, they don't know what it means. They don't speak English. They have no idea what I'm chanting. So I started saying, row, row, row your boat. And they would go, row, row, row your boat. I go gently down the stream. And so here we were in the desert, and this beautiful sky of stars and we're going around singing row 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 your boat life is but a dream that's hilarious and it was uh you know that was one experience that i thought wow that's that's a that's a funny story i'm glad you shared that there must have been some challenges in completing your book Are, are there any that were difficult to overcome or was it all fun and games um i think Part of it was researching the Quran. I was looking at studying very carefully for all the references of love 
and, and studying very carefully references to Mary, and they were they referenced Mary a lot, like over thirty times, very lovingly with respect and stories of Jesus. But I had, I wanted to look at that very carefully, so someone wouldn't come later and say, "No, I think you misinterpreted the understanding." So I, I'd read something in Arabic and read something in one version of English translation, then another thing. I don't want to mess this up. Um, it's just, I mean, Christians and Muslims since you know before the Crusades have been <laughs> fighting, and I don't want to make things worse. So I was a lot of effort to uh, always keep a uh, you know, mindset of you know love and thorough research, and uh, and so that that took some extra special care. Brad, since you're a specialist in Arabic, is there any final words you'd like to share with us? Well, I want the listeners to know that there's so much love, and, and the basic refrain in Arabic, in Islam, is that God is kind and merciful. And in fact, every single um, book of the Quran starts out with saying, you know, God is kind and merciful. And so, and it's very beautiful, this very beautiful refrain. And so I'd like to read this opening section of the Quran, and it sets the tone not only for the Quran, but I would say for their whole faith. And so if the listeners would just listen for the the im rhyme scheme, they will know that's the part that is talking about God is kind and merciful. So here it goes, and this is a farewell, kind of loving farewell from the opening of the Quran. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Rahmanirrahim. Maliki Yawm al-Din. Iyaka ni'abdu wa iyaka I've had many authors uh, sing on my interviews, but none in Arabic. <laughs> it's chanting. I guess it's singing. Okay. All right, you call it chanting. I'll call it enchanting then. All right. All right. At the end, chanting. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. The title of the book is Touching God, a journey, a guide to mysticism in Christianity and Islam, and our author, Brad Tyndall. Thank you, Dr. Tyndall, for joining me today. 180 pages of great read. What uh, is the process for getting a copy of your book? Well, it's pretty much available all over the place online. You can go to, I think you can go to Author House itself and find it. Um, but the easiest way is probably Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble. And for the time being, that's probably the easiest way to get it, to order it, either hardback, soft copy, or, or Kindle. Yes, have you completed a, a website as yet? Uh, it's in development, and uh, it's probably going to be called Mystic Pita. Because I have a group of friends who are kind of fellow mystics, and we're we're putting that together, and we kind of meditate together and chant and whatnot. So that's where it's coming. Probably maybe by the time this is aired, Mystic Peter will be out there. All right. Thank you for joining me today. For Author House and Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. 
Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Now Abides, and our author is Jereen B. Wright, who joins me from Florida in the United States of America. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Jay. How are you? Doing well. And I did, I did denote the right part of the country you're in. Just to confirm for my listeners, you are in Florida. I am. I'm in Fort Myers, Florida. Fort Myers, Florida. Well, I'm going to give myself a high five. I I thought I might. (laughs) (laughs) You're enjoying great weather. This book is your first novel, and as an author, as an author, how did you get started into the field of being an author, and where did this book come from? Well, actually, uh, Jay, I didn't. um, I had no plans to be an author. I had I had no desire to sit and write a book. I was going through a struggle, uh, a personal struggle, and I know I sat down one day and um, I started writing a little story, and and the next thing I know, all these words came on this page, and I just kept writing and kept writing and kept writing, and the next thing I know, I had so many pages that I didn't even know what to do with them, and as I read it, it was so inspiring to me, and I had just, I, I, I had no thought to publish or anything like that. And someone read it and said, oh, you know what, you need to put that to print. And I'm like, really? That's like, yes, really, you do. And so it was really God-inspired. I cannot take the glory. It is God-inspired. What is the premise of your story, Now Abides? What does that title mean, and should it mean to us? It's abiding, it's abiding in the faith and hope and love and joy of God. It's, it's learning how... Um, it's letting people really realize that there's more to life than what we naturally see it. And just like the young woman, the book is about a young girl. Uh, she's 17 years, turning 17. And she met her husband, her, well, her will-be husband, in the spirit realm, which is like when she would go to sleep. That's mm-hmm. how she met him. And they built a relationship in that, in that, in that realm. But she also will come into her natural world, but she will remember that realm. And so um, it was kind of interesting. Uh, it's, it's a part in there where her mother had a, um, had went to, a, to the airport to pick up her husband, and there was a shootout in the airport, and she jumped out to save a little boy's life, and they both, well, she got shot, and they hit the concrete, and they both went into a coma. But the good thing about it is because her daughter, which is Katiara, who was the lead in this story, she has a gift to travel in, into 
the, the, the spiritual realm. So she gets to talk to her mother, and she gets to talk to the young boy in that realm, and then she's also able to comfort her sisters and her, her father. And, and uh, Lisa, which is her mother, had a best friend uh, named Patricia who was struggling with her Christianity. So it's, it's just a whole, it's a whole lot in there for a little book. But if you read it, it, it will inspire you to have the hope and the faith and the trust that only God can give you. Any of the storyline come from your personal experience or people around you? You know what I think is out of it's out of everything. It's out of things that I have um, and you know I had to go through in life. Um, learning to trust, um, um, understanding that God was with me through all the struggles that I've gone through. Uh, one of the girls in here, um, she was actually raped, and um, it was by her brother's uh, friend who had got into some drugs, and he owed the guy some money, and the guy took it out on his sister who was saving herself. And so, um, yeah, a lot of it is it's kind of me, it's kind of other women that I know. It's, it's just life. Yes. So it's it's life experiences with a fictional history, a story behind it. Yes, sir. That's a good way to approach. A lot of authors, you know, write from personal experiences other than those ones who are writing space novels. I don't think they've been there yet. Well, some of them have. But... <laughs> That's if they were in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, right. They might have been. They might have been doing things that were mind-altering. I don't know. Uh, when you began to write this, did you did you take a long time to complete this? Did you just sit down and, and uh, put a sketch of the characters you wanted to include in this and then start writing? How did it come about? Well, how it came about was, actually, I used to be a truck driver, and um, I teamed with my husband. Um, we're separated now, but we were going through a lot of trials, and I remember driving down the road, and I saw this story. I actually saw this story in my head as I was driving, and then when I sat down, I started writing it. Kashiara happens to be my granddaughter's name. And I like that name, so I used her, but the, the last name is not real. And then after that, I just thought of characters, and they just started falling in line. So that's how that came about. It wasn't like I said, okay, well, I'm going to put so-and-so. But then after the story began, I started having to put families together to make it all fit. And that's when I work. sat and I said, okay. And how long did that's that take? Okay. How long did I that take? In, I started in 2006. Um, the book was published in 2011, 12. So it took quite a while because I hadn't, like I said, I had no desire. I wasn't thinking to publish it. It was just something that kept me from being hurt because I was going through a lot of trials and, 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 and a lot of hurting things in my life. And this kind of kept my sanity. Was it important that you made Lisa and Tony devout Christians in your novel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of times, the world sees so many Christians as hypocritical. And sometimes we need to know that there are really true Christians that will will and have given their life totally to Christ, and that their whole uh, premise is to guide and direct people through their life. We can talk about Christianity all day long, but if you're not living it, the world doesn't want to hear it. They, they have heard too much and seen too much. And even Christians now, they see so much, and it's so hypocritical that they don't want to hear it anymore. So, yes, they had to be devout, and they had to really shine the light of God so that the world would know that there are real Christians. 
your target audience when you began writing this? Did you have anybody particularly in mind that might enjoy reading your novel? No, I didn't. I matter of fact, if you read the first page, it's dedicated to everyone because I life. I didn't see my itself. name in there. Hold on a second. No, I didn't see my name in there. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna put your name in the next one. Thank you very much. Um, life is built up of everybody. We all make this this life. We all do. And everybody in here has a little bit of something. Somebody does something wrong. It's all in choices that we make. Do you really, think? Do you think a younger audience? When I say younger, I'm talking about teenagers. Is there content in here that would be appropriate for them to read as well as older older people? Absolutely. Good. Absolutely, because but the thing about it with the like, um, I don't feel that you have to write a book that has to have words that are, that are inappropriate or well when 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 uh, Vanessa got raped you know I didn't I wasn't really deep into it but it made it known what was happening to her um you know and how she felt because that has happened to some young girls you know absolutely and um, this in this society a lot of young people are experiencing things that they really shouldn't have to but they do. But I, I wanted them to be able to relate with that also and see how God plays a role in that as well. Would you describe your book as a, a novel that is character-driven, or are there some action scenes also included in your writing? It's action. Nobody wants to see something without some action. And when when um, Lisa got shot, actually she was picking her husband up from the airport, and there was a shootout. And in the story, it's not in this part of the story, but in the, the second book to this one, it's going to tell you why that little boy was in the airport with his family and why his family ended up dying, that the family got killed. That little boy got saved, and why Lisa jumped out to help them. And it's a story behind that story. Would that be the action scene that might entice a producer to pick this up and make a story of the week, maybe for television? Well, you know what? It might excite them for the mere fact that this girl can trend, can go into another realm. Because even now, after I wrote it and it was published, and I will watch certain things, I will see now how they're using more people to interact in the spiritual realm. You know, and I was like, okay, you know, that sounds a lot like what I wrote. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it would be really, 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 really good. Dreams are a big a big part of your storyline. Do you feel like they're important in your life as well? They are. I dream a lot. Um, I, 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 um, when I dream, it's so real to me. It's like I dream in color. And I see people. I talk to them. I actually talk to them when I'm in my dreams. Um, hmm. They are real, actual people. And so I guess that's why this is so real to me. Is there an underlying message or theme? If you were to read this book as a novice, never had uh, any knowledge of you as a, a, a writer, what are they going to take away from this? I hope what I hope they will take away from it is, is that with the understanding that there there is hope in this world, even though this world everybody wants to say, well, okay, where if there's a God, how come there these things happen and I want them to take away the fact that we all make choices in life. Choices come with consequences. But there's one greater than all of us, and that's the person that created us. 
And, and I don't want them ever, I want them to remember and never forget that no matter what happens on this planet, God still is in control. He knows each and every one of us, and he has told us that. You know, he created us before the foundations of the world. And so when I look at people, I look at all of us as one. I, I, it, doesn't care, it doesn't matter what gender or what, what race. We are all one. And if we can learn to have love, faith, and hope and treat each other the same way that God has designed us to treat each other, maybe this world will be a little bit more tolerable. We're going to still have wars and we're going to still have tribulations, but at least we're going to have some joy and some peace in it. And I hope they get some kind of joy. And just just, just be able to sit down and read a book that will kind of just take them away from all the things that are bad in life and just for a moment just go to a world that is it's a good world. So this really is an inspiring action novel as well as what you've described just just in this last few sentences. If you were to introduce this to somebody, how would you do so in a couple of sentences? If I was to introduce you to... To your book. I would introduce you and say this is a, the, just like the... Um, I have Susan Connor, and she made a statement on my book, and she said it's a compelling and engaging story that will refresh your spirit as you experience the compassionate heart of God as shown through the eyes of two families teaching us how to endure the difficult trials that we all encounter. We are all one. And if just for you to, to sit down and read this book, I would hope that you would understand that we need each other and that we should be in prayer for each other and that we should be here for each other. And if nothing else, just get the, just get the thought that we need to abide in God and to help each other at all. Is your book different from others in the marketplace that may appeal to the same audience? Um, yeah. And I how? I think it's, a, it's, it's different. It's different because I, I just believe that it just, it, it has prayer in it. It has um, the real-life action in it. It has uh, a love of a heart. It has horses in it. It has a young girl who's actually growing into her spirituality. It has a family that has reared their children in Christianity. Then it has a family that, that got is half, half, um, halfway in and halfway out of Christianity. But all in one, they help each other. So, yeah. What was the challenge you faced writing this as a first-time novelist? Um, the challenge was getting the, the wording right and um, really understanding that and hoping that people would get the whole concept of the book. Was it enjoyable enough that you may consider a sequel to this one? Yeah, and I do have one to this one, and it, I think that this one will be, the next one will be a lot better, because this was my first one, and I never had a writing class. I never took writing, so um, I these are just words that I wrote. Even though they edited it, it was a lot in here that could have, I had learned from this book. This book has taught me, and it, and it has also taught me how much more to feed into the book you know, what to draw more into in this into the series. So, yes. Jareen, you mentioned you are authoring some other books. What's next on the horizon besides this series? Um, I have one. It's a children's book. It's called I Seek You, and it's about uh, a young boy learning the values of um, challenges, that decisions that he makes in life, and he goes on a journey. 
Um, I also have one called A Foolish Love, where a young woman falls in love with a young, with an older married man. And I have quite a other few series, and they're all different from each other, but they're all aspects of choices that we make in life. Well, the best way for our audience to keep in touch with you then is to do a search online for Jereen, J-E-R-E-N-E, middle initial B, last name Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, and they'll be able to follow your, your career. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you so much, Jay. And you guys, thank you for having me, and thank you for listening. The title, the title is Now Abides. Our author, Jereen B. Wright, who has joined me from Florida in the United States. Jereen, where can we get copies of your book? You can go online to authorhouse.com or amazon.com. Um, barnesandnobles.com should still have copies of this book. Um, the hard copies have my picture and a, a, a short autobiography about me in it. Beautiful. Jereen, I'm anticipating that I'll hear from you in the future and hear about your other successes as you continue your journey as an author. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Jay, for having me. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, she'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Purpose of Life. Bring your soul back to God and as many others as you can. And the author is Dr. Mark A. Kologi. And Mark joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Mark. Hello. Great to have you with us. Uh, Incredible, incredible title, obviously, uh, more than most of us can uh, begin to comprehend the purpose of life, but but you break it down into some, uh, if you will, some some uh, not so much bite size, but something we can get our minds and hearts around of you know who God is, why, who are we, why are we here, and and then the role of society in helping us connect with God. Is that kind of sum up your book? Well, thank you very much. It's uh, it's good to be here. Uh, yes, that uh, that sums up uh, what the what the book is about. And and basically, what I'm trying to do with the book is to plant seeds to get people to sort of sit back and uh, and reflect to be able to to slow down a little bit and see what life is uh, is all about. So in the book, I don't talk about any. Uh, you shall, you will do this, and you need to think this way. But I provide uh, various 
um, opinions in terms of what do you think about this and could this potentially be true? And I challenge everybody to go through and read the book and then from that particular perspective, prove the point in the book wrong. That's what I would like people to do is prove that it is wrong, but with justification. And in that process, people will think about the purpose of life, which is exactly what I would uh, like people to do. Because these are age-old questions and, of course, age-old problems, but you're bringing a new perspective to it as you, as you uh, basically sum, up, up, sum this up. Yes, uh, I, I'm quite educated, and from that particular perspective, uh, I see that there oftentimes people look at a disconnect between between the sciences, uh, whether it's social sciences or the hard sciences, and and religion or theology and and God. And through my studies, I have noticed that uh, there really isn't that disconnect. In fact, if you take a look at the Bible. Uh, science is catching up and proving the things that were in the Bible that many Christians and religious people have believed through faith for many, many years. So we have, again, these age-old questions. Of, well, let's just talk about a couple of these. Uh, and, sure. and, and some of these are, are, are very, very difficult, like the purpose of pain. What is the purpose of pain? <laughs> Well, there, there, is, there is a purpose to pain, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a learning psychologist, and from that particular perspective, uh, what I have discovered is the old adage of no pain, no gain is so true. People, unless they're motivated to change, unless there is a reason for them to learn something, will not learn because there is no need to do that. So when we get uh, hurt, when we put our hand on the stove, we learn that uh, we need to move quickly and we need to stay away from that kind of a stimulus, and therefore we try not to get burned. When we are desiring something that we don't have, that also in itself is a, is a pain. And what we try to do is we try to alleviate all of these pains, whether they're psychological pains, whether they're pains of desire, whether they're physical pains. Uh, but when these pains exist, we are forced to learn. I do a lot of uh, uh, couple work with relationships. And one of the things that we've noticed is that a relationship with no challenges is very boring and people become very disinterested. But when they have challenges to work in, when they have problems to solve, then that causes strain in the relationship. But at the end of the day, when they've solved those particular problems, they're stronger and closer in that relationship than they would have ever been able to do without that pain. Now, if the pain is too great, and if I'm looking at relationships again, then many people will give up and not pursue that, but again, I believe that if, uh, if there is no pain, we will not grow as individuals. So pain definitely does have a purpose. Well, as you call pain, you, re you call pain the teacher. So that, that's how important pain is. Exactly. I think you put it yeah, very well. Yes, right. that's exactly what I believe. Well, let me read this statement. I, I, this is very uh, reassuring 
and uh, hopefully inspiring to people because you talk about we are all uniquely and wonderfully made. We have something to offer the planet that no other human being can offer. I mean, that's very important for us to grasp, isn't it? It, it is. It is so important that, uh, and now we're getting into in, into the purpose of life. We all have some unique qualities, and I'm going to say God-given because of, of, of my, 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 my faith, but we all have unique qualities that are necessary, and that if we don't uh, exercise, if we don't do what we're meant to do, nobody on the planet will be able to do those. And if these things are left undone, then from that particular perspective, um, the world isn't going to be as good a place as it possibly could be. I've done some work with, uh, with old age homes uh, with, with uh, some of the people there, and it's very sad to see that you've got many of these elderly and some not-so-elderly people that are just waiting to die. And when you talk with them, they say things such as, well, I, I have no purpose. I'm, I'm just taking up space on the planet. I have to be taken care of. Nobody comes to visit me. The last time I saw family members was eight months, a year ago, two years ago. I, I'm just waiting to die. And that is so sad to see the experience, to see the talent that these people have, that they can make a difference in somebody else's life. Uh, for instance, I was talking to, 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 a, uh, to a woman who was on oxygen, who was in a wheelchair, uh, very, very frail, and she says, what do I have to offer the planet? And I said, you still have a pulse. You still have a brain that works very well. You have something that you can offer that nobody else can. See that caretaker over there? See that nurse? I'll bet you you could make that person smile like nobody else can by saying something that you know about that particular individual. And when these people start thinking about things in these ways, then all of a sudden they can say, hey, you know what? I do have a purpose. I am still here for a reason. And we've got youth that are just uh, not walking around, not knowing where to go, not knowing what to do. And again, they're thinking about, well, what am I here? Uh, I'm never going to have a house. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for me to survive. I'm living from moment to moment. So, you know, I'm just going to have the best time that I possibly can. And they need to recognize that, again, they are unique and they have some kinds of talents that the world needs and requires. And not everybody's going to save the world. Okay, I agree with that, but we can make a difference in one person's life on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, that nobody else but our unique uh, being will be able to make that difference. So, yes, absolutely, that is something that I strongly believe in. Why, why is organized religion suffering uh, so much? Low attendance, often a lot of skepticism. Uh, you know, even though the theology's there, but what's going on? Well, I think that uh, organized religion is it's starting to, but the traditional religions are very, very slow in terms of coming there. You're right, the theology is, is, is very strong, very, very powerful. You've got um, hundreds and thousands of years of people studying, of people uh, presenting and learning and, and, and growing the understanding of the religion but they're coming across in such a way that they are not feeding. They're not giving the people that are coming to the church 
they're not giving them what they need. It's, it's possibly that it's not presented in the way that, uh, that these people require. Um, there's something missing. So what these people will be doing is they will be looking for what is missing elsewhere. They're going to be looking through some of these particular things through, through addictions. They'll be looking for some of these particular things, uh, you know, through the through the media, through through various different types of things that they're, that they're going to be doing. And they're, what they really are doing is they're searching. What is my meaning? What is my purpose? Where do I fit into the into this particular world? And please, 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 give me the tools that I can apply to my everyday life. And I think that this is some of the things that that are missing, oftentimes uh, that. Organized religion is oftentimes very academic, and it doesn't speak to the individual, not because it's not valuable, but because how it is presented and, and the individuals that are attending uh, these particular services are finding difficulty in how can I apply this to life. Is this talking to me, or is this talking just in, in, in uh, general? I need to be fed, and people are looking everywhere for the purpose of life, <laughs> and again, the old adage, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places is often the times uh, the, the, the things that can occur. I believe that if organized religion were to continue to profess the message that they're doing because it is a very good, true message, but sometimes they need to change their delivery a little bit to make it more palatable to those people that want to be fed. Very, very well said. Uh, the, some of the highlights of your book, some of the different chapters, uh, talk about God is infinite. And, of course, what does infinite mean? Uh, also talking about how God created us in his own image. And what does that mean? Uh, the role of sin. You know, every cloud has a silver lining, as you say. Uh, you talk about forgiveness, the importance of that, that most important gift of also heaven and hell are real places a whole chapter uh, on marriage of bringing another person's soul back to god that that whole role of marriage we've already talked about no pain no gain of what about the the society what about the role of government in bringing your soul back to god (laughs) well everybody Everybody and every institution has a purpose. And again, from my perspective, God puts a little piece of himself into every single one of us. And the book talks about this in more detail, but what we're looking at is our purpose in life is to bring that piece that God has given to us back to where it came from, back to where it belongs, back home again, to be with God. And in that process, we will, as individuals, grow in terms of our, of our uniqueness, grow in terms of our humanity, and again, in that journey of bringing this component back to God where it came from, uh, we're, not, we're not alone in this world, so we will need to rely on directly on God. We will need to rely on the talents that he has given us, and we also need to rely on the rest of humanity and the rest of of nature and creation. All of these have a purpose 
in terms of helping us on the journey to bring our souls back to God where they came from. So what is, what is the purpose of, of government? Government uh, needs to take a look at the systems, they need to take a look at the, the legal aspects, they need to look at community and what helps us as a community to enhance our journey towards God and what are the barriers that government oftentimes puts up that are actually preventing us from seeing the the destiny that we're that we're meant to follow on this particular journey, and they make us sort of take wrong turns uh, on our process. So government has the power to be able to do both things: to be able to enhance the journey back to God, or to be able to say things. You know what? That God doesn't exist, and don't worry about God. And it's it's against our nature to talk about any purpose other than, you know, you've got to pay your taxes and you've got to uh, be a good citizen, but, but for what purpose? We can be a great citizen, we can follow the rules that are put down, we can pay our taxes and not cheat any of these particular things, and then at the end of our lives we die. There's got to be something more of which these bodies, and I strongly believe that these bodies are there for a reason, and that reason is that God allowed them to be there, unless, of course, there are some people that do it um, unethically, where they, they, they steal, they lie, they play politics uh, in order to get these particular positions. And then from that particular perspective, what they will oftentimes do is lead people in the wrong direction. So government absolutely has a very, very big role in terms of bringing us back to God by giving us direction and structuring society in such a way that it will allow us to see the journey that we are meant to follow in order to bring our souls back to God. We've been listening to Dr. Mark A. Kologi. He is the author of his book, The Purpose of Life, Bring Your Soul Back to God and as many others as you can. Mark, tell us, what's the best way to get your book? Uh, it is available on um, uh, online uh, through Amazon. So if you just Google either my name or if you Google the title of the book, uh, it will be there. Uh, or if you want, you can contact me directly. Uh, my website is uh, www.martha7.com. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. 